Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lee. Joining us today will be Bruno Reagan, who is a member with us at VandySports.com as part of our staff, also a former Commodore offensive lineman. We will talk about Vandy's 38-35 loss in Lexington. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt falls 38-35 in Lexington on Saturday. Commodore's now 0-7 for the season. But Vanderbilt with a pretty good offensive performance, 407 yards. Quarterback Ken Seals good in this one, too. No turnovers. The freshman was 21 of 32, passing for 225 yards and two touchdowns. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Bruno Reagan joins us tonight on the podcast. Bruno, a former three-year starter for the offensive line, finished a couple years ago, now part of our staff at VandySports.com. Bruno, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about the positive things from Saturday. The offense scores 35 points against Kentucky. I know a couple of those touchdowns were in garbage time, but Kentucky's defense was the best in the league coming in. That's now three straight games where the Commodores are over 400 yards. Two of those have come against really good defenses. I think State was top three or four in scoring defense and total defense coming in to that one or something along those lines. However you slice it, the offense has really gotten better under adverse circumstances. So what are your thoughts with what's happened there? So I mentioned this in my piece after the game, like the offense, basically the offense probably succeeded in each one of their goals. Most offensive teams, what they'll do is they'll have a goal list and they'll revisit this every week. 
uh, before and after games. So what a goal list will probably look like, it'll be about seven to nine goals. It'll be things like, you know, in order of importance, depending on what your team is, when the turnover margin, how many specific yards you want, run efficiency, uh, total yards, uh, red zone efficiency, things like that, you know, total points scored. And in the years that I was at Vanderbilt, you know, early Ludwig, mid Ludwig, uh, these guys would have gotten probably a seven out of nine or eight or nine out of nine, which is winning, which is enough to win the game is what we would call it. Like you get seven out of nine of those, of those goals. Um, you win the game. So let's talk about some things Vanderbilt struggle with that just clicked for them. Uh, red zone offense, red zone offense was abysmal. The first part of the season, I was like, okay, these guys have, are not going to ever score ever unless it's like a huge home run play. But, you know, I think they have that young quarterback. His Mike, Mike, Wright. Am I correct? Is it? Mike yes. Wright? Yes. Yeah. So he comes like, I mean, he comes out and he runs his packages extremely efficient. There's nothing crazy. I mean, I noticed he would do a lot of the zone read stuff. So he comes in, I know they're respecting his zone range a lot more than uh, Ken Seals's, but he's handing it off. You know, he's not trying to be the hero or anything. He's just laying down good, efficient runs, protecting the ball, and just really he's sticking to his first read on those fullback sort of pass outs that go wide to the end zone on short yardage downs. So, I mean, their red zone efficiency was through the roof. Their run game, their, what people think uh, a good run game is, I know it's hard to – you know, if you get above 200 yards rushing, like you're typically having a good day. But the most important stat is run efficiency, because that's going to keep your offense on the field. Now, let's run efficiency. That's averaging four yards a run when it matters or a first down or a touchdown. So if it's second and one, you know, and you get a two yard run, they're going to add that as an efficient run in the stat. That's not a stat that a lot of people talk about. It's one of the, it's one of the most important ones an offensive unit will talk about. And those guys were crazy efficient in the run. I mean, can protect the ball. You know, there was no winner and turnover margin this game, but then you go to the time of possession, variable one, the time of possession, that should be helping the defense. So if I'm not missing and they scored, I know you mentioned some points in garbage time. I think they scored 28 legit points, which is enough to win a football game, 28 points. You know, we said the bare minimum, you know, to win in the SEC is probably 28 points statistically. Like, they would run these stats, and if we wanted a chance to win the game, 28 points was was what we needed. And if you're scoring 28 points against one of the best defenses in the, conferences, in the conference, it's definitely a good thing. I mean, the offensive line finally seems like it's starting to mold. Grant Miller's always been the pillar. I think things are getting uh, – testy in there and they need to keep their head because there are penalties. I know Tyler Steen's a young guy that likes to fight. So he's, he got a penalty or two in there and it's just frustrating, but you see a young guy like Julian Hernandez step in and he was playing really well. I was watching him specifically a lot of, a lot of the game. Cause I was just very interested in how this young guy's going to do. And it's not like he's happy to be out there. He wants to be out there and he wants to win. So I was really impressed with that. Wide receivers were great the whole time. You know, they were making plays, um, trying to go for racks, you know, run after the catch. Um, offense just played lights out, Chris. Uh, there's nothing else to say other than that. They they played in each one of their goals. They did, exec- like, extremely well. Now, when you get to special teams and defense, it looks like, you know, high school football. But I think the offense, the offense probably had, you know, they, they looked SEC. They looked SEC. And it was really a positive thing to watch. Well, I did point out, again, that, Two of the touchdowns were in quote-unquote garbage time. But even then, uh, first of all, I made the point to say that even without that, they scored 21. 
And Kentucky's only given up 20 a game. So right there, without those, they beat the average, which that's good. And number two, it's not like some of these other teams haven't had a chance to post some garbage time points. Tennessee certainly had that opportunity. So however you slice it, and I think that really that comment is more towards the game really, really wasn't as competitive as it seemed department, which is on the defense, which we'll get to later. But even if you want to nitpick their effort offensively, I, I don't see a way in which it wasn't a really good effort. No, and you don't want to, you don't want, obviously you don't want to get into the trap of, you know, moral victories and stuff, but when you're in, um, like, everything is different from different viewpoints. The player's viewpoint, they should be thinking when, uh, no matter what, that's the only stat that matters, right? But if you're a coach, or if you're an administrator, or if you're a high-ranking person in the university, you need to see these stats for things like if there was a potential that this was a job year because COVID does mess everything up. So if you have a bad year, but you know, and you, but you throw out the numbers offensively and you just see, you know, progress, 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 progress. That is a good thing. Like, even if you're not getting the wins, I mean, at this point in the season, that is something that you can focus on and take, and, you know, take pride in it's like, cause if this was another, let's be honest, if this was another coach, we would this we would be talking about this a lot more. We could be like, we're gonna have a ton of momentum if we just focus on defense because I'm pretty sure a lot of those offensive guys are gonna be staying. I think uh, you know, Cam's gonna be staying. Uh, I mean, obviously we have two true freshman quarterbacks that are both high level court that both have the chance to be high level quarterbacks. We have a young offensive line that's doing really well right now. Um, the running backs, you know, they don't look as they don't look as lost as we thought they would without Keyshawn Vaughn or Kari Blasingame or or those guys, I mean, it's it's really uh, it's really molded out offensively. At least we've seen the offense. We've seen what they can become. We've just yet to do that with everybody else. When I was watching the game, and they get down, I think, first and goal at the eight, and I look up and they have pulled Ken Seals and have got Mike Wright in there, I'm just thinking, no, don't do that. You have overthought it. I thought with Seals, they had momentum. They were moving the ball quickly. They were in a rhythm, but it worked. I mean, Mike Wright got a touchdown pass and a touchdown mm-hmm. run. And so, you know, that's one of those things where, from what I was told, Wright just was not good with the ball at all in fall camp and look kids get time to work and get more familiar so obviously they feel like he has made some progress on things and to be fair to the situation too Ken wasn't exactly lighting the world on fire in those situations either had some turnovers Mm -hmm. uh, some mistakes with maybe not getting rid of the ball and I'm not saying that to be critical of him he's a freshman playing his first time those are lessons you have to file away and learn Everybody knows that kid is going to be a really good player and is already. But I just thought, don't mess with what's working. But obviously, they knew something uh, and they felt confident in something working, and it did. Yeah, Chris. I mean, I'm this, I'm on the same boat, and I think most teams should be on the same boat. You know, the quarterback is the leader of your team, but and you should only really have one playing, and especially if there's a rhythm, you know, don't mess up that rhythm. But this speaks volume of if, you know, we hear these things that, you know, maybe Mike wasn't doing well and, you know, it's just he wasn't ready. But I think that speaks volumes of probably this kid's character because he heard that stuff. And, you know, that I'd say it's a solid, and this is arbitrary number, but I'd say it's a solid 80%, you know, turn, tail, tuck, duck and run when stuff like that happens to them. You know, they start looking for transfers or they start, this kid obviously took it to heart and 
worked on it and was like, no, I'm going to be, you know, there's no reason I can't play, especially now. Like, I'm going to find a way to contribute to this football team and I'm going to, you know, show my talents. So he goes out there and I'm the same way. I'm like, dang, you know, really good teams can't pull off the two two quarterback system. But when a team does pull off a two quarterback system, I mean, man, it's awesome. And to see those guys, it's not like Ken was, you know, jealous or anything like these were kids just trying to win the football game chris and it's not like ken it's not like ken seals is in the back of his head like man i should be out there being the one to run the zone read on fourth and like or third and third and goal or something like obviously i think this suits mike's skill set better probably ken's ken is a more every down type of quarterback but Mike has, I mean, just a threat that makes the defense, you know, give an off look. And it that's going to be the good thing for Mike, too, is he's going to have these these pack like his packages are not going to be anything crazy. It's going to be that same exact stuff. But that's three to four, like whole new plays that the defense has to shift on the fly on the field. And that's a really tough thing to do. And I don't care if, if they know if what four what four different plays are coming. You know, it's going to be tough for them. And if Ken stays in there, it's going to be tough for them because then they're like, okay, now we got to worry about the base offense. So for an O and five, O and you know, O and six or O and whatever Vanderbilt team to be running this efficient two quarterback offensive system. Definitely uh, interesting to watch, but I'd say if you can get both of those guys reps, because Mike is going to be someone you can't, Mike is what we call someone you can't keep off the field. Ken might be the guy. I mean, it's just true. He might just, he might be the guy for this team in the long haul, but Mike's going to get 30, 40 reps on this team. He'll run wildcat. He'll probably run, you know, he'll probably run things on fourth down, you know, from the red zone or the, what we call the maroon zone, which is 20 yards out from the red zone. He might do some third and short stuff. Um, he might play different positions. They might throw him in at the slot just because they're like, this kid can play or they might throw him. Uh, they might, they might throw him like they might throw him at running back and just put him at the H like an H type player where they, it's a lot more flexible. I mean, they're going to get this guy on the field because it's obvious he can play and it's obvious he has the mindset to get better and lead this team. Well, and the thing that stood out to me, Bruno is soon as Mike Wright comes off the field after that first touchdown, looked like the first guy over there to greet him was a very enthusiastic Ken, enthusiastic Ken Seals. That kid, I think, is the type of leader that they need from the things that I hear here and there. And I think that was a really good sign was when the guy that your team leader maybe is a true freshman is not sitting over there sulking and worrying about, hey, those didn't go to me. He's excited for this, the team, and I think that sets a good example from the top down. Mm-hmm. I think Ken's taking the season because well, and it's just little things that I'm reading. But I mean, those little things speak volumes. Like so when the TV pen to Ken and he Mike, this is the first series when Mike's on the field and Mike just scores. And then Ken's Ken is going crazy on the sideline like he's just having a good time when you're you need to take take things in consideration for this season. Are they going to go to a bowl game this season? No, they're not. Are they going to, you know, could they win a game? Yeah, they could. But these are guys that need to figure out who they are, get better every week, and have fun. And I was seeing guys who were playing winning football and having fun and being led by a guy that was out there smiling. Because it's so easy to fall into the traps. You know, it's so easy to go on Twitter. Because I've been there, man, getting smacked by Missouri in the cold. And then you go on Twitter and it's just you're getting people tagging you like, oh, you should be fired. I don't care if you're players, things like that. And it's just, it's so easy to fall into that mental, but this is, this is a really formative 
four to five years in these kids' lives and how they take things is going to carry into their adult world. And I just see what Ken's doing at a young age, and it's really, really impressive. I want to ask you something from personal experience. I can't believe that this has never come up in our conversations privately or in the few podcasts we've done together. But I remember you guys open a season against South Carolina. Kyle Shermer is your starter. He has really got some momentum going. And it gets in a spot where Derek Mason pulls him and puts Wade Free back in. And his explanation (laughs) after the game was – He's our running quarterback, which everybody knew was nonsense. I had been to practice. I'd seen Wade run. No knock on Wade, but running quarterback, he is not. And by the way, that never happened again. What was that whole thing like as a player watching that go down? Yeah, and and that was my uh, that was the first start of that season, and I was watching it with Kyle. Me and Kyle both got pulled. Uh, They put they put my roommate and you know former best friend Bailey Grandier in for me, and those were the only that was the first those are the only three plays I didn't play that season. You know they put Wade and Bailey in there for me and Kyle, and they were like, let's see how this works, and then it went three and out, and then you know, then that never changed again. Um, I don't yeah I don't know what they. That was just a miss, a misuse. I think they just wanted Wade because Wade did work hard. And so they were probably just using any excuse in the book to get Wade reps. Wade had a very talented arm. Wade was a very talented player. But when it comes down to it, you play to win the game. And to because it was the same thing with Bailey, super worked super hard, and me and him were pushing it like it was about as friendly as a competition as you can get. We're just guys trying to beat each other out, but you know we're obviously we're we're obviously buds at the end of the day, and it makes everybody better. You know, iron sharpens iron. But when it comes down to it, these coaches, so they try it, you know, for the sake of the kids, I guess, you know, for the respect of Wade and Bailey and how they worked. But then it comes down to we have to win this football game because we have families and we got to feed them and we're not trying to get fired. So it just didn't work out. But now we're at a situation where it is working out and this is something that could work out in the future and it could benefit all parties. You know, it's not like Ken's not going to have to do any of this crazy stuff on the goal line, like any of these packages and get hurt. And Mike's not going to get hurt because he's going to beat everybody to the pylon from what I've seen. So it's just a, that's a different take on it, but yeah, that did happen our sophomore year and it wasn't nearly as prepared. I'd say as this year's packages with two quarterbacks. Did you guys know that was coming when it happened? I believe, I believe we did. I think they told me and, and Sherm before the game, they were like, listen, we're going to get the, we're, we're going to have this, you know, not it's not a second offense, but we're gonna see how these guys do on a series. And that series was kind of set up to fail. I mean, I remember it. I think they were backed up really far, and it was like it might have been a one run, two runs, like and the runs just didn't work out, and then into a third down, a third down, a third down situation that just sort of. I mean, it was no one was putting this in a position to succeed at that point. Kyle, Kyle wasn't because Kyle had the momentum, and they pulled him abruptly. I was like, okay, like if you're gonna you know do this, maybe do it at a different, like any other time or another game like this, we don't have to stop ourselves like this or, but they did tell us, they did tell us it was going to happen. So we were, you know, we were ready to continue this battle, but obviously it, it worked out the way it worked out and things just didn't, we didn't build off that the rest of the season at all. We just kind of basically cut ties with all of that. And we just were like, we're going to stick with the same unit. And then we went to the first bowl game in however long. So I guess it did work out. Another thing for you, 
I think that one of the interesting things before the season, if we'd said there's somewhere they're just going to be dreadful, it would have been hands down offensive line, right? I think we yeah. would have all said that that's going to be bad even if things go well. Well, things have not gone well. They had four players who would have played a good bit opt out before the season. Uh, they had their left ta- left tackle transfer. Uh, had some injuries in season and some COVID issues. And here this team is. And, and look, I watched Kentucky and the way those guys pushed Vanderbilt's defensive line around. And we'll get to that. They're not that. But they've not been embarrassing and they've been competent at times. I think they're opening some creases in the run, which I don't think was happening in August. I'm just really floored by the job that Peter Rossimondo has done with them. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, so, I mean, this is obviously a testament to Coach Russ because offensive linemen, like, as er- all, all things considered, the things like talent, um, height, strength, reach, all that stuff, very important at the top level. But you can get away with a lot of that stuff at O-line with good technique, a level head, and smarts. You you know, you can you can really, like, bridge the gap and things like that. You can do it in pass pro if the unit plays together. Because I'm watching these guys run the ball and put, like, I would say they were pushing Kentucky's D-line off the ball, like, two to three yards. Like, it looked better than run games I've had in my seasons. And I'm just – and it's all because they're they're trusting the technique and they're playing together. You know, what you hear playing together, what does that mean? It's simple. They listen to Grant. Grant tells them what to do. They shut up and they do it. And then they all trust the technique of whatever Grant calls, you know, if it's a zone and it's to a three down and Grant just basically goes, you know, I don't know what their calls now anymore. But if Grant's like, you know, and you see a look and you don't know and you're pointing to the corner, you're like, he might come. Grant goes, shut up, three down, left, left, out. And they're like, OK, we're going to trust what Grant sees on the safety rotation. That safety's coming. We're going to block out. And, you know, no one's going to no one's going to bridge on their foot because that's when you see people. That's when you see the the offensive line, you know, take up TFLs and sacks is when four guys do it one way and one guy gets scared or gets, you know, gets tw- twinkle toes. And then he does, does something his own way. Then the D- then the line gets split or something. These guys don't get, these guys don't falter. They don't go, they don't get split. They say the way they do it is they're like, coach Russ, we're going to do exactly what you say. And if we screw up, then we can point it at you. You know, that which is a very smart thing to do. That's how I, when I when I started playing pro football, I was taught entirely how different from how I was in college. So I was like, "Hey, listen, I'm going to do exactly what you coach me to do, and if I fail with it, that's on you." And they were like, "Deal." So, and that's what these guys have done with Coach Russ, and it's worked out entirely. So that says a lot about what Coach Russ has done. I mean, they, he's put every he's put a lot on his leader Grant Miller, you know, in the middle there, and it's worked out for them. I, I didn't, I did not, Chris, I'm a former old lineman. Those guys are my friends and I'm a realistic person too, as a fan and as an analyst and as a content creator and as a whatever, like I, I, you know, I have to be honest and say, I didn't expect much from these guys. Well, they proved everybody wrong. And I'm sure that feels good somewhat in the middle of whatever the season is, you know, at least they can look up with pride and be like, you know, we're trying. And it's not like they're trying one week and then going home and crying. They're coming back and they're getting better every Every single week and they're going to knock a team off and it's going to feel good I guarantee it what happened under Cam Norcross because it seemed like that really started well and kids were getting better and I know that you really developed under his watch but something happened the last couple of years where that just seemed to go badly I think that he lost some buy-in from players I think you had some kids leave and of course last year performance was just awful where did you get a sense of where that went wrong 
I think we had a lot of buy, and this is partially my fault too as a leader. I think we had a lot of buy-in at the top six players. So the people who were playing, playing, you know, we were pretty bought in and which is fine and all, but then injuries happen, stuff like that happens. And I try to tell guys every year, I'm like, listen, like there's the top five, top six linemen. I guarantee you eight or nine people are going to play this season. It it happens every single year. Don't just sit back and be like, you know, Oh, I'm not going to play. I'm not the starter. It happens every year, Chris, someone gets plugged in and uh, this, and then things have to rotate and then things just never have that mojo they once did. And we just, we would find that in the first five, but you know, as the leadership, we would kind of fumble bringing those other guys with us, which is hard too. Cause I mean, I'm a whole, I'm a, I'm trying to chase my NFL dreams and I'm trying to do all this, but I have to be the leader. I have to bring these guys along. And even if that means dragging them across the finish line, I felt like sometimes I did fail in that regard. Cause I was too focused on maybe the top on the first guys. So, um, I mean, that's basically it. But when you see these guys, they've rotated every single game like game i think the first three or four games it was a different o-line every time and they don't it's not like they have numbers they probably have eight to nine people total but they've just all bought in they said you know what if i'm gonna play i'm gonna go out there i'm gonna do my best i'm gonna do exactly as i'm coached it's that simple it's that simple you know this things are, are stacked up against everybody as hard as they ever been covid you know the season Everything has just worked against these guys. So they're just going to try and, you know, trust their training and go out as much as people hate that cliche. They, I mean, that's all you can do. Trust your training, do your best. And then I think people will like the results. And these guys have just done the simple work, done the simple stuff, and they get results from it. So more power to them. They figured out the great Pandora's box, I think. Well, speaking of Pandora's box, boy, the defense, just the complete yeah. inability to stop anybody. Kentucky does not punt literally until the final four or five seconds of the third quarter. Uh, one of the possessions on which it did not score in the fourth quarter was with its backup quarterback. That was a bad performance against a bad offense, and that is really, other than the A&M game, that's four out of six games where the defense has just been abysmal. What do you make of that situation? Yeah, I mean, I think if there's any any position group that I see, you know, some okay stuff out of is probably the D line. I think the D line actually doesn't do too bad most of the time, but obviously, you know, they're slow and undermanned. Um, I, then I watch the linebackers and I'm like, Holy, you know, I'm watching these guys try to fill holes and I'm like, wow, that's late. That's slow. Guys get burnt off the edge. Guys can't hold the edge. You know, most guys in defense, you don't, you're, you're, you're assigned a gap basically through the scheme. It's not like you're like, the C gap is the only gap you ever have and you never move from it. You know, obviously defense football is tough because it's fluid, but we give up a lot of our fundamentals in that regard. Like, frighteningly enough, I'm watching the game and, you know, the running back hits the A, a gap and then bounces it to the C and every time the guy just break, he loses contain on the edge. And I'm just like, dang, dude, how does this happen every time? I mean, if you're going to recruit, low star guys recruit the solid projects with the height and the weight and the speed. And then if, you know, if they're too soft for football, that's fine. But whatever we're doing with, you know, we look, we look like a high school team out there on defense, Chris. I I think that's just something that, that is very apparent. I mean, it's not something I can beat around the bush. Any average Joe can see it. It's not like you need a keen football eye to see that we're small and we're slow out there. And I put it in my piece. If you're going to be small and slow, you better be like Ryan white. And Ryan white was a guy who was small. He, you know, he was called by scouts slow. 
but the guy's presence was felt on the field. He was the he was the only ca- team captain for three years in a row at Vanderbilt University. I'm sure people don't even know that. If you're going to be short and you're going to be slow and you're not going to have these intangibles, you better do something that adds value to the team. And what he did was he laid the boom on people. In the run game, he came downfield hard and use his stout body and knock people out. He would knock me out in practice. It was out of, it was the craziest thing ever. He, you know, he would make wide receivers look or think twice on these crouching routes across the field. I mean, he brought value to the team and I feel like these guys are playing as if they're, you know, these guys, it looks like these guys are all trying to play like Jawan Williams and none of them are Jawan Williams. Let's be honest. They're just not, you know, they have to find different ways to get the job done. Which is weird because, you know, it's like, oh, do the so then do they be coached different? It's like, no, but they have to it's just in the end all be all, you have to get the job done some one way or another, and they're just not even close to doing it right now. You know, it's just the tackling's abysmal, and I'm sure we can, you know, attribute that because they have no they have no players. I mean, thirty people have quit since the start of the year, so it's hard to see where this defense could have been, but it's not like this defense is anything new to us. This defense has been given up 250, 300 yards average in SEC games and rushing, which is unheard of. We've been getting, you know, our scoring is, it's probably our defense combined the past two to three years is like bottom, bottom. Like if there was a 15th rank, we would be it in the SEC. It's just not, it's just been so bad. And I don't think it's, anything in scheme and stuff. I think anybody can look and watch and just be like, this is a, you know, this is, this is probably a personnel issue. One thing I just cannot believe is their complete inability to develop linebackers. You look at Zach Cunningham was a first team consensus all American. And since then, and of course that was James Franklin's recruit. It has fallen off a cliff. They had Oren Burks who was an NFL player for a while you know, Orton was not very good as a linebacker there, uh, but the pros saw something, and he was a top 100 draft pick. I look now, and Austin Orgy, to me, was just such a really good-looking kid in high school. And again, it's not a kid who is dominating a small level of football. He's playing at the highest level of Texas football, which is as competitive as you can find anywhere. And if something translates – it should be a situation like that. Same thing with Dimitri Moore, who was not as highly rated, but was very well thought of, had a lot of major offers. Mm-hmm. Dimitri's coming into this season as a first-rounder by some people, which I thought was ridiculous. But, hey, maybe the scouts and these people are seeing something that I haven't seen. I've always thought Dimitri had potential, but based on the track record coming in, I just didn't see that. All that to say... And another thing to add, I remember two years ago before the season was having discussion with some people on our board about linebacker. And I said, that position does not worry me. A lot of people worried. I said, hey, look, I don't think it's much to worry about. I think they've got enough talent there. They've got enough kids who can play. They've got enough bodies that between some potential star power and some depth, I think they will be okay. I was dead wrong about that. And now this has been under two coordinators. It's been under Ted Roof this year and was under Jason Tarver, who also coached some of the linebackers. I just cannot figure out why they're linebackers. Again, and you Moore and, and Orgy were two of the most talented recruits they've had on that team. I cannot figure out why they cannot get better production out of those kids. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think more. I think more. I think we have to call the good. We're you know we're calling a lot of the bad with the bad. I think we have to call some of the good with the good. I think I do think Dimitri has played at an SEC level. Is he you know at the first? Is he like Zach running right now? No. Does he have the potential to be? Maybe. But I think Dimitri has deserved some of the you know accolades and respect that he's received. I think his production has been pretty good. Now. You know, are there things where there's there flaws in this game that we're that I could go over? Yeah, probably. You know, things on the edge and stuff. But he's for the most part always around the ball, and that's just an effort thing. Every time I look, he's you know around the ball or he's making the tackle. So I, I will give Dimitri credit on that. He's probably there. He's probably their most efficient player on defense right now. But who who else is there? You know, Chris. Like I don't. I couldn't even name the other guys because they because they get out there and that's all they are. They're just guys right now. Um, it's not, and it's not like it's guys trying to prove themselves at SEC. It looks like guys who are sinking, drowning, trying to survive right now. Um, and that's what kind of discourages me. You know, I think a lot of people take a lot of the Vanderbilt people, the people who played at Vanderbilt take pride in being, you know, we're like, yeah, we're these degenerate, short, slow. We're the everything bad. We're everything, not sugar, not spice and not nice put in one, but we're still going to go out there and we're going to make some magic happen. I don't think you see that from the defense right now. And I don't know what they, I don't know what they have to, cause they've obviously changed coordinators. They've done this. They've done that. Is it misses in, is it just total misses in recruiting? Um, probably yes, yes. And yes, probably a little bit of everything. It's not even like these guys have had, these guys have had what, like time to build two to three years to show us anything. And they really, it, cause even when the, there's a solid like let's look at the first game of the season. I don't think it was a very high scoring affair, but I don't think anybody goes up and be like and it is just like the defense played really well here. It's mostly just, if anything, the offense just making it to if we are gonna win a game, it's probably because the other team's offense is just doing miserable. You know? And I think that's the most discouraging thing. We don't see a lot from our side of the things on defense that things are, you know, improving or going well. It it actually has somehow gotten worse and worse and worse. So, I mean, we still have, what, three to four games left on the season? So it's time to, I mean, they, they just need to go out there and show something and show these, what, who, whoever's going to be watching the film, NFL or future coaching staff-wise, why these why I want to be the guy playing. I They have to take responsibility of that too. Because it's not just the coach's fault. You can see it in the players sometimes. I mean, it just looks like it's just night and day compared to how the defensive players are playing to how the offensive players are playing. Like, people get mad when Mason's calling out the strain and stuff. I, I think he's right. I think some of the kids are just out there, you know, free-flowing. I really do. And I think they should be held accountable a little bit just like coaches. But that's just me. Well, and, and to be clear, again, I think those kids both really look like football players coming in. I'm not meaning to just – pile on both of them mm-hmm. yeah. Allison Orgy can't even get on the field right now for whatever reason uh, and Dimitri I mean he looks like a football player if you stand next to him he looks like he's an NFL linebacker and again mm-hmm. the pedigree and the track record I just don't understand why this coaching staff has not been able to develop these kids into more than they've been yeah I mean it could be a lot of different things there's a lot of misses that just happen a lot just so happen to happen at the linebacker position I mean you talk about these guys come from these guys come from you know top level places and then they get here and then the, the, you know where do they go I think there's like in my case you know I played at Clarksville Tennessee there was I think ignorance was a bliss there you know so I get to the SEC and I don't know what good football is so when I when I suck 
I'm just like, oh, okay, you know, I expected to come here and suck. And then it took me, you know, a year and a half, two years to, like, really get into it. But eventually I got into it. But if you're one of these top guys and you're, you know, being sold on quick playing time and then you're like, you know, you're going to come in and be the guy and then you get here and you quickly realize you're not the guy, you know, it might it might just – it might take, take a whole toll on your career because the big, first two years of your, like, college and pro career is the most important by far, the first two or your developmental years. And a lot of those guys just lose time in those first two years before they can figure things out. And that's not to say, you know, do I know everything? Could he be injured? Maybe. Could it be this or that? Maybe. Could – but if he just comes onto the scene, you know – for his senior year and he has a good okay senior year and it's just like well you know let's be honest we expected more from you kind of deal so it could be a lot of different things chris on why we're missing on these because they look the part they do look the part they come in and you hear i mean i've played with both of these guys both of these guys were on the roster when i was there so and i thought in the terms of practice they did well but when it's their time to you know show up and you're not producing the weight falls on you. And I don't say, I think I have a unique perspective and I'm not calling these guys out, but I am just saying how it is because when I was at Vanderbilt, you know, who would, you know, who would go up in front of, I mean, you were there, you know, who would go up in front of everybody when our head coach would go, our run game is abysmal. Our run game sucks. You know, who went up there and answered that, answered that stuff in front of everybody. I did. I, it was me. I went up there and I took responsibility and I said, we're going to fix it. And I was what, 20 years old or something. So you know, I just I feel like these kids can need to start taking the challenge and it's not like they have. There's no expectation. This is the perfect time to do it. There's no expectation right now. Go out there and do your job to the best of your abilities and, you know, vie for your spot, vie for your spot in the future NFL, vie for your spot in the in the future Commodore starting lineup. And you can maybe be the be- best team we've had here in close to a decade by simply having a winning season one of these years. One topic of constant discussion is strength and conditioning and mm-hmm. look I don't think they're in a spot where they need to be speed is one thing we'll get into that in a minute but I know that you've been pretty steadfast that you don't think that James Dobson the strength and conditioning coach is the problem tell people why yeah so coach Dobson is universally known as one of the best in his field of what he does his whole staff so I'm, I think Matt's still there one of his assistants Matt's been there since the start with him rex is one of his closest assistants. he's been there they've both been there since the nebraska years i'm pretty sure so these are guys i mean i i just speak from experience i was in the strength conditioning program and i was not a strength and conditioning star chris i everybody listening i was a guy who i knew i was a good smart football player and i relied heavily on that but boy did, i liked lifting but boy did i hate strength and conditioning i hated that stuff man it was just not my thing and it's probably it's not no it's probably not anyone's thing really it's hard work but a lot of guys responded better to that stuff the first few years than i did and i still had trouble throughout my junior and senior year but this this guy coach dobson never let up on me i mean he was on my case all the time and he i don't you know he our, as far as like our relationship or something, it's, it was a working relationship. Like it was, it was all work. You know, he, I, if I'm going to go into his office and say, I want to be an NFL football player one day, then I expect this guy to be tough on me. And this guy was tough on me the whole way through and expected nothing but the best for me. And I was, and we, I was out there putting in the work. So 
I don't see how any of these guys can go out there and just put and do what do what even close to what I did. And, you know, say at strength and conditioning isn't working. It's not like you can't buy in either. You can't just not show up to lifts and and team training like they're showing up. I think there's been I think some dudes, you know, there's just there are some people who are not going to be an SEC level athlete ever, Chris. I think that's something that gets lost. And that's something the parents need to hear sometimes at the high school level. Sometimes your kid is not going to be SEC level. If he is six one and he has, you know, a not so great gen, like not everybody is going to look like Kari blasting game, man. It's just not going to happen. And I think we've just missed on a lot. I really do. So it, we go out there and these guys have done the same exact, these lifts and stuff are the same things that produce guys like Zach Cunningham, Oren Burks, Kari Blessingham. I mean, absolute monsters of men that got by with nothing but their athletic ability and their willpower. Trent Sherfield. This is guys that Dobson, like it was a lot of more Dobson than probably football got him into the league. So you have to, I mean, and they're consistent. They don't change things too much. Are they going to change because they're losing? I think that's smart. They go, they go, guys, we're losing, so we have to, you know, change just out of principle. We can't keep doing the same thing if we're losing. But it's not. It's the same stuff fundamentally. And I think strength conditioning. We have. It's such a shame because we have one of the best. We have one of the best strength condi- conditioning staffs in the country, and we're probably going to lose them because of the results that's that are happening. And People can people can definitely argue with me and be like, "No, nah, you're wrong, Bruno," and that's fine. But I've just, I was just there, and I just know, and I know that's not the issue. Well, and we hit this last week too. I have been in Nebraska's weight room and have been in Vanderbilt's, <laughs> yeah. and Vanderbilt's might be might be a tenth the size of Nebraska's. Yeah, I mean, when you, when these guys, Chris, like Dobson, him and his whole staff are there at 3.30 in the morning to carry all the weights into the indoor facility. I don't know if you know, the indoor is like, it's not too far, but I mean, it's it's a little trek, and they have to carry all of our GPP weights there at 3.30 in the morning, and then we get there at 5.30, and then we just start killing it. And then, you know, we're not the ones that carry the weights back. They are, and then they get back, and then we start running lifts through the – I mean, these guys grind. They embrace the grind more than probably the players do. And you know what's the funniest thing is that we would always joke about is the, G, the, the strength and conditioning staff says they'll never give us a workout they can't do. So we get absolutely obliterated, right? I mean, especially a guy like me – I was never a top strength and conditioning guy. So I get absolutely obliterated by the workout. Right. And then you go into the weight room to get a shake or something. And they're outside doing the dang they're outside doing it. Like these guys are out of their minds there. If anybody knows that whole Jocko, like David Goggins scene, these guys are that they are the, they're those type of dudes. It is, it is crazy, but they they are doing so much with what little they have. I mean, they have, we have to split the, like the whole team doesn't train together. For example, offense, defense, we get split, which sucks for the dynamic of the team. Like we don't train together. I, I think there's hardly ever any times we actually get to work out together, whether it be field work or anything. And that's a third of the season. That's like a third, three fourths of the year is spent off like the football field. You know, it's spent the summer strength and conditioning, spring, the first half strength and conditioning, the whole fall, you know, fall camp strength and conditioning a lot of the times. So I think they've just done the best with what they can, Chris. I really do. You know, you think you cover a program for 18 years and you've uncovered most of the dysfunction and then you find out you're probably not close. I did not even know that about them having to move the weights. (laughs) Why wouldn't you just buy a second set of weights and things and keep them over there? 
Well, I mean, oh, yeah. first of all, why why wouldn't you just get a new weight room, right? I mean, that's the obvious, but it's Vanderbilt. So, I mean, yeah. I would think under the circumstances, buy those guys more weights. I mean, God knows they got enough room to store them over there. That's crazy. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, I wonder what their budget is because they do they do have some equipment spread out from like the indoor to the stadium. But as far as it goes, they have to transport most of it using either the Gators or by hand means by carrying it over there. So it does. I'm sure it does. You know, it's time. It's valuable time that they could be using work because when they're not training us, they're trying to figure out what the most effective way is to train us. They're trying to figure out body fat percentage. They're trying to figure out, you know, optimal speeds uh, that these guys, they use, we use the catapult system, which is that thing that they, you know, they put in their jerseys or shirts that tracks basically our whole athletic heart, like our whole athletic beat, our heartbeat, how fast we're moving, how hard we're working, man, like workload production. And these guys are on top of being giant meatheads. They're also scientists basically. So trying to i mean i don't know what kind of check they're working with but i can assure you it's not it's nothing like any other school i'm sure there there's going to be a time where that like they're going to they're going to probably leave vanderbilt you know one day or another that's just the nature of the beast of coaching and they're going to be like in the back of their heads probably like oh thank god we can go somewhere that you know invests now so i'm picturing james dobson in the cover of darkness uh, with the mule in a covered wagon, just hand lifting weights into the back of a cart, and and then you know walking down the. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a hard guy, and he's a, yeah. he's a it's a if you're if you're if you're a man that looks to to a leader, like he's someone you want to lead you, lead you. Like he is. I mean, I can't have I. I, you can obviously tell by the way I talk about the program. I have nothing but respect for the guy, even though, you know, it's guys like him and Mason. They have the same kind of relationship with me where it was, uh, it was, you know, pick up your slack kid kind of deal. And I never, you know, held it against them personally or anything. I knew that was the nature of the beast. And by the end of it, I had a pretty good shot to achieve my goals. So I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't respect him if, if he didn't do, if he did do like, did not do that. He's just a guy who I will I will I will die on that hill. I will die on the hill to say that he was he was one of the guys that I believe did the the whole time he did everything right. I'm just floored. You know they've been playing football 120 years and still don't have that. But I mean we've done that podcast before and we will again. Uh, <laughs> moving on. This this would be a good segue. Players quitting. DC Williams. Hits the transfer portal this week. Frank Coppett hits the transfer portal as well. I think the body count of guys who've left now are opted out somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 scholarship players. What in the world is going on? Uh, I think it's just, I think, I think the school, I think everything's just gotten to some kids. I mean, Chris, when I was, when I got benched, so fun fact, I, so I started the last two games of my freshman year. So, I always considered myself a quote unquote four year starter, right? For the title of it. But my when I going into my sophomore year, my I so I started the whole spring football camp and then going into my sophomore year, I got benched in fall camp the very first day. I mean, I just got I got switched to second team and basically it was a three week battle to try and earn my spot back. But um, you know, about a week and a half in I felt like I was doing everything right and I still like I just felt like everybody was out to get me and everything was going wrong and every single kid I know every single kid 
eventually calls home and is like, you know, I don't know if this is for me or I don't know, you know, they start talking transfers. But for the most part, most kids eventually find their way, you know, transferring is the answer in, I consider rare circumstances. Like if you're behind Trevor Lawrence, you know, come on. Yeah. You know, get out there. But if you're, and you, you know, you're a good player, but I feel like a lot of these guys, like, I think that it's impulsive decisions and sometimes things are just going bad and then you see a way out and then you're just like, before you can even think about it, you take it. And I think COVID allowed a lot of these things. I mean, there was a lot of transfers before it was even a thing, like, you know, back in the start of January, but I just think transferring such a big decision in the long term of things, and especially guys who are opting out. I mean, I've already I've already said my piece. I don't think they'll be back. I don't think they'll they'll be welcomed back, really. So I think it's just uh, I think it's just the morale of things getting to these guys. You know, obviously the school is already bad enough here. Now they have to do it all online, and then they do everything. I think it just weighed on a lot of guys, and so it just. You see it happen at every school, but at Vanderbilt, you see the effects times two, basically. And that's why a lot of people, because a lot of people are like, why would I, you know, do this over, uh, win this football team when I can get a free, free, free school, probably get close to graduating, transfer to wherever I want, keep my eligibility. You know, a lot of people are just, you know, why not? So I think that's simply it. I don't think there's, I don't think there's been probably, there's probably one to two rational fears of COVID from all the transfers and opt out. I think everything else is unrelated to that. Well, I don't think that the disallowing of parents at games has sat well. In fact, I I don't think I know. Um, I mean, that just is something. Some of these kids, I don't think have seen their parents since June. And when you're going through all this, 0-6 and maybe headed to 0-10, I just think that on top of the non-support for the school. I mean, come on, man. Let the parents in, for God's sakes. That's not that hard. Yeah, I'd have to admit, I mean, I'm a little bit of a, especially, especially, you know, it was only a few years ago for me, but having my parents close was a huge thing, you know, being able to see my parents through like the tough times and stuff, cause it's tough. So being able to see them through that stuff definitely was, you know, a bright spot in the days, but, uh, especially in the grind of it, of an SEC schedule. But I think this is just normal Vanderbilt trying to, you know, be hyper progressive for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, now they kind of look ridiculous for it, at least in the eyes of most people in the South, they look ridiculous because everybody, you know, everybody else is open, you know, how much of a, but it's all about the stance and position for Vanderbilt and how they look and how they're perceived. And I really, yeah, my first intuition is not that it's Candace's idea. I really don't. I think she, I think she's told by the university, you know, Heck no. Like we're, we're progressive and we're leaders and this is how we're going to do things. You know, Candace, um, can, you know, does Candace want all this backlash? I'm sure she doesn't think having the parents, you know, are in is a big deal is if anything, she might be the one fighting behind the scenes for it. So we'll see. I think it'll be good for, you know, it needs, it's something that needs to happen. So I hope they get it. They find a way just to get it done. It's something that does need to happen because with everything considered and all we know there, you can have parents in there and effectively, combat this virus at the same time it's not that big of a deal well they let parents in for the baseball scrimmage a month ago uh and and let me tell you that did not sit well at all so yeah i mean it shouldn't it 100 shouldn't like it's just why kind of deal um you may not have seen this this is 
slightly off topic before we get into a couple of questions from the mailbag and close this thing out. Will Muschamp gone at South Carolina? Uh, the Gamecocks pull the plug on him, make what I think is a smart move to get a jump on everybody in a coaching carousel that will probably be smaller than normal. I don't know if you knew that or not, but what were your thoughts there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did see it. I mean, it's just South Carolina, they want to set a standard for their team, and he wasn't up to the standard. You know, it was just they're a below average team. Let's call it what it is. And, you know, it was time to get fired. I think Steve Spurrier changed the whole game in South Carolina, and now they shouldn't accept ex- they shouldn't accept anything other than an, a high-level SEC competitive team, and they just haven't been that, so get the guy out. And they can they can obviously afford it, and they obviously take the culture of the SEC to heart, you know, the level of, the level of ball we play. So it just made sense. I think most people saw he was on his way out. I think we heard reports that, you know, they were actively thinking about firing him after each week of the season. So it was just kind of only a matter of time. So we'll see whoever they hop into in there, but, yeah, it's going to be a small it's going to be a small carousel like you said. It's going to be it's going to be a very strange carousel too all things considered. So, is this something Vanderbilt even wants to jump into? Um I mean, only time will tell. I feel like we had some good options back before, you know, when there was opportunity maybe to hop in and we just didn't take it, but we'll we'll see what happens there. But I think South Carolina just is, you know, they're setting the standard for what they will not accept and they're not accepting what he's producing. Simple as that. Today's mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about him on the Vandy Sports Podcast. And Arbor Door asks, would you consider using Mike Wright at quarterback in situations other than red zone? If yes, what situations? Uh, yeah, he should. And it's not it's not like a total rehaul of the offensive system. They should take the exact same packages he does and use it on things like fourth down from the midfield. They should use it on second and first. Maybe, you know, bring him in and let him fit like let's say they get an eight yard play off the run they bring him in and let him finish the series or they let him finish the series and then they go nascar with him and still run the stuff i mean i think this is a team and this these are two guys who can have the most symbiotic like professional relationship ever ken and hims um ken and mike's like their tool sets are totally different but they're both obviously going to be leaders of this team like the top two guys so I think finding ways to get Mike on the field and successful is something they should do at all costs. Nothing too crazy, you know, what he's doing now. But on average, a football game gets about 60, 70 reps for an offensive pro style. And I think Ken should probably take 40 to 50 of those reps and Mike should take 20 to 30. You know, sneak him in there whenever you can. Give the defense a different look. And if, I mean, if one's hot, like if Ken is absolutely on fire you leave ken in there if ken's having a bad game and mike comes in and does something great leave mike in there but eventually you know come back re- reassess things and i you know that's the that's kind of the tough thing about dealing with two quarterbacks is options kind of give options kind of psych people out coaches especially having these options kind of makes you you know do things and you know if there's not a lot of trust like it's not like like look at tennessee like they is it a good, is it a good example? Not really, but they're like, listen, Garitano is what we got and we just have to go with that. 
but if they had, you know, they tried doing two quarterbacks for like a while and it was even worse. So I just don't want Vanderbilt to, you know, psych itself out with two quarterbacks, have their specific roles. Like Mike should be the guy who comes in maybe third and one and the red zone and keep it, keep it basically exactly how they're doing it. Just add, just add him to the midfield package just a little bit. And it's not hard to do. I mean, they, they can just call the same personnels and bring them out there. I think they were trying to, you know, ease them in there by only doing the red zone stuff. And what do they have to hurt? Cause their red zone, their red zone was so abysmal, you know, might as well try it. Now that they've seen the success of it, they probably will bring him more and more and more. So yeah, I think you can use them in other situations. Just don't go crazy with it. The last question also from Ann Arbor door, all things equal do low practice numbers have a worse impact for offense or defense or is it the same for both? That's a great question. I had not thought about this until it was asked. Yeah, it's a good question. And I like this question because there is an answer. It's not like, a, oh, no, it's bo-. it's definitely the defense. It's 100% the defense. Things like offensive football, you can practice offensive football. and You can always practice avoiding people. Like seven, the seven-on-seven seven stuff, they can do that. And that's a lot of offensive. I mean, if the offensive line does its job, they can – They don't offensive line isn't nearly as physical like on a pass rep the defense has to do all these things we just set our feet you know get a good punch and a punch isn't like a hard thing it's just something to you know change the direction of the defender and then we basically just mirror them i mean working on the run game yeah that's physical but as a defense entirely these guys need to be hitting these guys need to work on right these guys need to be working on tackling they need to work on the speed the speed of the game and practice is much more important to the defense and i think that's partially you know one of the stacking reasons why our defense is doing bad they just have low numbers guys are either getting beat up or they can't practice or you know they can't practice the team can't practice like they want to and so you see the results on saturday so i it's definitely you know the answer is defense 100 percent. bruno we are out of questions we covered a lot of ground was there anything worth covering tonight that we didn't get into um one thing I like to, you know, I, one thing I like to ask Vanderbilt fans probably is uh, something that's really interested me is, you know, I've been keeping up, you know, obviously I'm on the Vanderbilt beat. So, you know, I'm watching Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, trying to get the insight that I can. But one thing that I can't help but notice is Penn State. You know, Chris, like I texted, I was texting some of Franklin's guys and I was just like, what is going on up there? Like, what would Vanderbilt kind of, you know, would Vanderbilt want this guy back? Is that the answer? And I was thinking in my head, you know, probably not. Like, we we need a Franklin-esque type reboot, but we don't need Franklin back. It's probably not – it's probably not ever going to – and I don't think that ever will happen, right? You know, Franklin shouldn't come back. That's just not his, his deal. He's probably ascended past what Vanderbilt can pay him. But I just see that, and I'm just thinking, like, you know, if this would happen – Vanderbilt, we've been calling for his head just because of the things he's done. We've been calling for his head just like, you know, a lot of people are calling for Mesa's head. I think it's just, I think watching Penn State this season has offered a perspective that even in the best of organizations and some, you know, all things considered, sometimes you're going to have a bad year, maybe a historically bad year. What do you do after that? You know, are these, is Penn State going to hit the red button? Probably not. His buyout's out through the roof. Like, but. I just think that's a whole interesting talking point watching the Penn State football team operate right now. I mean, would you believe that our records are, you know, either our teams haven't won? We've probably gotten closer to winning than they have. So I just think that's an interesting thing to talk about. But other than that, Chris, I mean, I don't have anything else. 
they lost to Nebraska this weekend, which is not mm-hmm. very good. But nope. yeah, I mean, his buyout. In case people are wondering, I think it's thirty-eight million. Um, if if the school gets rid of him, I think it's five if he decides to move on. So anybody entertaining that, I think that of him coming back to Vanderbilt. First of all, James's star has not dropped that far that like he couldn't get a better job than Vanderbilt. But those are the numbers. Yeah, I mean, with James. My goodness, if James had more of a moral compass, I would say he's the perfect guy. But I mean, I just I dealt with it. I saw it. You know, I don't yeah, know if the guys. It's not a secret here. Then I don't mind saying I've heard the stories too, Chris. It is not. Yeah. It is not. It's not good. It's win at all cost mentality, which is good. It's good for fans to see. But you know, as far as everything else, ethic wise inside of the program, it's not good. But well, I, 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 I truly think yeah. everything comes back comes back around. I'm not a very like you know, like superstitious guy but for some reason i feel like you know just the way you act eventually like you might catch you know you might do things and you might take short is it shortcuts not really but it kind of was was the way he succeeded in some aspects and i do think it all comes back and bites you and i think him leaving vanderbilt the the exact time he did during that oh three and nine season the first season away i think that worked out well for him i mean honestly i don't think he would have done well with that you know that team either but all things go ahead. I know I interrupted you, but it was just something that was on my mind a lot. I just, you know, it's going to come back around, especially the way he acts. There was so much under him that was just overlooked because of the winning and it wasn't even overlooked, but it was definitely, um, you know, people just didn't care as much. He was winning. So. Yeah. And with him, it wasn't so much the stories. I mean, there's probably all kinds of stories I don't know about. I just saw it dealing with him firsthand but, yeah, I mean, and you saw that fan base. That fan base, and I'm not – look, Vanderbilt fans deserve less criticism than just about anybody because mm-hmm. there's, they're still around, right? And that's, yes, a, that's a victory for, sure. uh, for, for you know, anybody that's still there. I, well, it probably doesn't feel like a victory, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I think with James, I could see some things that I commented on. And, and let me tell you, that fan base likes to think it has a higher standard – in a way, but when it got a taste of success, um, you saw more of a, hey, we're just like everybody else with regards to him because whatever criticisms I had of him at the time uh, did not sit well with my audience. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, listen, when it's it's the life is so easy when you're winning, Chris. It really is. But the second you start losing, like we look, we look at Mace lose right now. And we're like, you know, I think I I see a lot of guys say, you know, he's a great guy and it sucks that this is happening when James loses, you know, the 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 black doors start opening up and the things start coming out, the things that would have never came out if he was still winning. And that's just just such a weird thing to watch because it it just all comes back. And, um, you know, the way he's treated players there, the way he's treated players here, it's not a fan's job to be to be the moral company you know if you're that involved you can be but i you know fans should show up enjoy the game enjoy the program and enjoy all things considered but it's tough when you win and then you're you know you're behind this guy aka franklin and then you know you start losing and you can't even be behind him because then it starts kind of you know coming out you know all things considered about the guy and it's just like wow you know, it's just kind of something that when things roll downhill, it rolls downhill quick. And I think things are going to roll downhill qu- quick for him. He probably won't be at Penn State long after, you know, even though it's COVID season, it's still abysmal right now. 
Well, the other guy in the Big Ten that didn't have a good weekend is yeah. you know exactly where I'm going, Jim yeah. Harbaugh. Uh, I, dude, college and pro is just such a different dealing with kids. It's not easy, Chris, and that's what we are when we're in college with kids. And, you know, we have no idea about the real world. We have no idea about – most dudes have no idea about taxes, jobs, you know, anything. We're all kids. So Harbaugh's, you know, just trying to figure out how to how to get these kids. And it's not like – he just, he just hasn't gotten it done, man. And now on top of not getting it done, he is absolutely getting destroyed. So that's going to be – it's weird when coaches make it in their careers. Like James going to Penn state was, a, I made it moment, right? That's, I made it money. That's an, I made it school. That's an, I made it moment. Harbaugh going to Michigan for the amount of money he got like 10 million, 10 million or whatever. It's that's a, I made it moment. But what happens when you go abysmal in your, I made it school, you know, where do you go after that? Do you less miles it to Kansas or something? I mean, I, I think this is going to be super interesting to watch, watch these guys who are, you know, once the top of the food chain in terms of coaching carousel. And, you know, we have to get this guy, this guy won nine games at Vanderbilt multiple times. You know, what the heck, how do you do that? I'm sure he can take us to the next level. Well, what happens when they're Oh, and 10 at Penn state. And it's just like, okay, this guy was absolutely abysmal at the top level at the end of his tenure, you know, where's his role now. So, you know, no one ever wants to peak in their career. But I feel like sometimes football coaches, they do it earlier than they want to. So I, it's going to be definitely interesting for me to watch. Bruno, I think we ran the gamut of stuff. I'll ask you again, anything else that we didn't get into before we end the show? No, I think we covered about everything we, sh- we should for, for one podcast episode, Chris. I have a feeling next week, <laughs> after the Gators come to town, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> might be difficult. Yeah. Hey, man. We've always played Florida close. Always. Uh, not always, but I is there, is there? It was there. Was there a year? Was there a game when I was there that we didn't play them close? Well, may, maybe not, not you. No, last year yeah. was about the worst game I've ever seen. The worst first half oh, I've ever seen yeah. a Vandy team play. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Every, I mean, it's listen. Anybody can really come out flat on any given Saturday. And this is obviously everyone's going to go, oh, he's, you know, here comes the optimism. But this is truly how I go into the games. You know, I don't I don't ever want to dread going to watch a football game, Chris. And all, I mean, we're oh, and whatever. Like, do I expect to win? Not really. But I'm going to go out there and I'm going to wa- I'm going to take pride in watching these my, my friends on the O-line play. I'm going to, you know, try and see what Ken and what Ken and them can do. I mean, the defense has the work cut out for them. Let's call Kyle Trask what he is. He's a Heisman candidate and he needs to be considered as such. He's coming to town and he's, if he's going to go for the Heisman, he's going to not come in and just be like, okay, let's get a 28 zero win over Vanderbilt and bounce and go home. He's going to come in and try to light the scoreboards up. So it's a challenge. It's going to be interesting to see how they respond. It really is. You know, is it going to be the same old, same old, are we going to see anything anything crazy, anything special. So we'll see. We'll be back. I'm looking up your career against Florida. Uh, 2015, you guys had that nine to seven masterpiece that you lost. Heartbreaker. Uh, yeah, the that's, that's the game, game where they couldn't kick a field goal all year until that game. Florida, yep, could not. the 40 yarder from their They had that, their kicker was the backup kicker couldn't kick. And then they had a backup backup come in for that 40 yarder kick it. And this was only after a botched punt. The only reason they even had that field position at that time was just a botched punt. It was Chris. I mean, we found some impressive ways to lose. I'll tell you, man. Oh, I remember that. And then, okay. 2016 was, uh, and by the way, all these Florida victories, 13 to six, 
Yeah. Then 38 to 24, and then your last year 37 27. So you guys were right there. We were uh, up 21 to three that last time too. Yeah. That was a re- that was a real heartbreaker. I took that one hard. That was a tough loss. Yeah. So you guys you guys were close, but uh, I, I think the uh, programs have kind of morphed into different things. Yes. Uh, since this one has gone downhill, and since Dan Mullen took over in Gainesville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean. You got to look look at look at what it is. Look at the history. Look at where the teams are at, obviously. And as fans, we should tailor our expectations. That's something the team can never do. But maybe as fans, you know, because let's be honest, this is going to be a pivotal year or two in Vanderbilt's history. You know, what are we gonna what are we gonna accept? What are we gonna do? You know, what direction are we gonna take? And if it's if it's the same as what we're gonna see, you know, then. I don't know what to tell you, but I do think there will be change, you know, eventually down the road and we need to see the bright spots in order to talk and and talk it up. When that change does come, you know, we could let people know where, where the bright spots are going to be. And I think that's where this game, I think that's why this game is important. You know, we should see some dudes go out there ready to compete and who want to make a name for themselves for when the time does come that Vanderbilt's ready to have a winning season or a bowl game, you know, these are we, we're going to know who the guys are that are going to step up and do it. Bruno, tell folks where to follow you on Twitter, and of course, you'll have uh, you do after the game a quick little quick hitting thing of your thoughts on the game, which they can mm-hmm. find at VandySports.com as a premium member. But tell people where they can follow you on Twitter because I know they'll want to do that. Yeah, so my Twitter is basically where I put most of my football stuff. I mean, you, all my other social media is basically personal stuff, but my Twitter is where I usually. Oh, you know, divulge my information as a football player back into the community. So my Twitter is at Bruno Reagan, B-R-U-N-O-R-E-A-G-A-N, you know, no spaces, no underscores, just at Bruno Reagan. Um, I always, you know, I typically live tweet the games. Sometimes I get way too into it and I'm work, you know, focused on writing, you know, trying to write the story and get the information to you guys on the premium site. But for the, I try my best to tweet as it's going and give you guys updates on what I'm thinking and stuff on Twitter. So, and I, I, you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm a crazy celebrity on there. If you have a question, you know, DM me or message me. I, I answer them all. So that's about, that's about it, Chris. All right. Thank you, Bruno. He is Bruno Reagan. I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We should have at least two more of these coming later in the week, so be sure and listen for those.